Here we go. You're listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. An opportunity to take a look at some of the emails I'm receiving and responding to the questions that are there. So without further ado, and the way you can get a hold of me is email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. A first question. Can you go over Matthew 3.15? Jesus says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Now, this is about John the baptizer doing a baptism of repentance. And he says to Jesus, Hey, I'm not supposed to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And that's when Jesus says it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness and he consented to be baptized. Now, the email writer says, I have always understood that Jesus was sinless, but was baptized. Now, why? He gives three reasons. Because God the Father wants everyone to be baptized, to glorify God the Father, and to show the benefits of baptism. And the benefits happen to Jesus. The heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on us, we become children of God. All right, how do I respond to this? The baptism of John the baptizer was not a sacrament, as was the Pentecost baptism. In fact, John even says, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, he will baptize you with water and the Holy Spirit. So John the baptizer's baptism, as is stated in the Old Testament in looking forward to his coming, was he was a preparer for Jesus Christ. Now that means that people would not be interested in hearing about forgiveness of sins if they didn't think they were a sinner. And so in that baptism, they understood that now they were a sinner and they were contrite. Now, therefore, was Jesus becoming a sinner then or later? The email writer goes on, pastors have recently lectured that when Jesus was baptized, he was installed as our sin bearer. Jesus put himself alongside all sinners and is now ready to take on the load of all sinners. I can see from passages in the Bible that this is true. Now, the passage I would use uh, to back up that that is true is actually from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church saying that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God the Father, according to verse 21, made Jesus to be sin in order that when he died on the cross, he would be dying for the sins of the world as the greatest sinner of all time because upon his shoulders were my sins, your sins, the sins of our past, present, and future. So, letter writer goes on. Pastors have also said that Jesus acted as our substitute with our sin and buried it in the waters of the Jordan. I was taken aback that a Lutheran pastor would say this because I cannot find this in the Bible. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, not a Father, Son, Holy Spirit baptism. Now that is correct. I have not heard a Lutheran pastor say that when Jesus was baptized by John, that therefore he buried our sins in the waters of the Jordan. No, that occurred at the cross, but he had decided to be recognized as a sinner with John the baptizer's baptism because it was a baptism of repentance. For what did Jesus have to repent? Nothing, because he was sinless. So he took upon himself that duty of being baptized by John the baptizer in order to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had decided from before the foundation of the world that Jesus would become a human being in order to die on the cross for our sins. So the incarnation is the first step in that he became a human being. That he took upon himself our sin is clear from the baptism of John the baptizer. Now, the letter writer ends, as I understand the Bible, Jesus took the sins of the world on the cross and paid for our sins on the cross, not during baptism. I would appreciate your biblical direction and guidance in this matter, uh, yours in Christ. Well, I really agree with him that it was the sins of the world paid for at the cross, not during his baptism. At his baptism with John the baptizer, he was willing to be regarded as a sinner. Remember, everybody who was being baptized by John the baptizer did so because they were sinners, and therefore they knew that they had offended God. Jesus, therefore, took upon himself that task. So I think that's really good. This uh, letter writer wants to know about fulfilling all righteousness and makes a good point 
that Jesus' baptism in the Jordan did not pay for our sins. It meant that he became a sinner. Now, there are a lot of distinctions about Jesus. Uh, Another one is his distinction between humiliation and exaltation. Humiliation began when he became a human being, and he did not make use of his divine powers or attributes. He got hungry. He got sleepy. He felt pain. He died. None of these things would happen had he stayed as God. But he became a human being in order to be humbled upon the cross and humbled by being regarded by God the Father as a sinner, which definitely took place when he agreed to the baptism of repentance by John the baptizer. So going on to the next email. How is a Christian to properly correct someone? Now, the email writer doesn't give an example of what correction needs to be made, but let's just talk about in our world today, there are people who for some reason don't know God and therefore they believe in evolution, uh, homosexual behavior, uh, transgenderism, etc. I have found that when you preach the law to them, it doesn't really matter how nice you are about how you preach the law, but what comes across from their point of view is that we hate them. Well, just think of a parent, Christian parent and a child. The child disobeys. The parent exercises some kind of discipline. In fact, we saw how important that was when Eli the priest refused to discipline his two sons who were stealing money and breaking the sixth commandment with women. And God destroyed that family because Eli refused to deal with his sons properly. So it's important. Yet, I can't ever remember a time that I was punished by my mom or my dad where I concluded, oh, you hate me. No, I I don't ever remember saying it or even thinking it. Uh, They were very clear that they still loved me, and the punishment was so that I would recognize that I was living a wrong life and I needed Jesus. In, In fact, when Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, or when he says to the Pharisees, Uh, your father is the devil. I'm sure they came to the conclusion that Jesus hated them, but he didn't. He said those words because he loved them. Now, people are going to wonder, what do you mean by love? Well, love is a response on your part to sin where you want to warn an individual that by their kind of behavior right now and by their 
agreeing with the false doctrine that they need to be careful lest that leads to unbelief. Now, when it does lead to unbelief, then we excommunicate an individual. Now, why do we excommunicate people? Because they are sinners? No, because they do not repent of an obvious sin. And, and so there are definitely uh, Roman Catholic bishops who will not give the Lord's Supper to certain politicians because they are believers in abortion. That's very good. And the politicians may think that they're hated by the Roman Catholic bishop or by a Lutheran pastor who would do that, but it's not hate. And so just as a parent makes it clear to a child that we're doing this not because we hate you, but because we love you and Jesus loves you, Jesus reprimanded his own disciples. Remember, and there were a number of times uh, a woman was calling out for help and the disciples said, get rid of her. She's interfering with our ministry. Or there was a, another occasion when the disciples were not happy with Jesus because of he was touching lepers and of course he was healing them. In other words, all of us are not happy with Jesus and that's proven every time we sin because what sin is, is saying we're not happy with God's will and we wanna go ahead and do our thing. So the church has a lot on its plate in order to help people come to an understanding. And don't worry about the attitude on a part of a person when you let them know that what they are doing is a sin that may even lead to eternal hell if they lose their faith. And that's how the devil works. He starts putting thoughts into people's minds like he did with, of course, the person who betrayed Jesus. And in that betrayal, Jesus said of him, it would have been better had he never been born. So we know that he was not going to heaven, but he didn't like the mission and ministry of Jesus, wanted to change that. And of course, when Jesus was arrested, he committed suicide. So there's no way that you can give the law. Jesus was not successful in giving the law all the time where people said, well, that was a loving action that he did. They were not happy with Jesus because they did not think they were sinners. They did not think that they needed to hear the word of God. So how do we properly correct someone? We use the law as John the baptizer did. Remember, he's talking to soldiers and others. I'll give the example of the soldiers. Do not steal from the people 
that you have become victor over. Like soldiers would go in their houses and take all their possessions. He said, be content with your wages. In fact, remember in the Old Testament, there was an individual who took precious items from a house they captured and buried it in his tent. And of course, he was found out and he and his family were put to death. God doesn't fool around when it comes to evil deeds. And so we need to share with people. Now, there's a lot of individuals in the church today who can't understand why we are against these sins, such as homosexuality, uh, abortion, transgenderism, and we need to be firm and yet in a loving way, which is really our attitude towards them. We, we don't start off by saying, well, you know why you're going to hell, because we don't know if they're going to hell. We don't judge that. We're kind of like a jury in a courtroom. We decide guilt or innocence. It's the judge that makes the judgment after the jury makes the decision whether a person is guilty or not. So the church can look at someone and say, you are guilty of this sin. A married man may have a girlfriend on the side, a mistress. Well, that is wrong. And the church needs to deal with that. And if he's not repentant and leaves that woman, he needs to go under excommunication. Excommunication does not have its purpose to send a person to hell, but to bring them back so they repent and are contrite. Which leads to the next question on the email. Will you please explain contrition? The biblical understanding of contrition is different than the world's understanding of contrition. The world kind of thinks that if you're ever sorry for something you've done, and it's because of the consequences, as I've said before, when I was talking to federal prisoners uh, doing a lecture on law and gospel in Dallas, Texas, I asked them, well, are you sorry for your crime? And they all would pretty well say yes. And I said, why? Well, because we're in jail. And I said to them, what if you had never been caught? Well, no, then we wouldn't be sorry. So contrition is more than lamenting over the consequences of your sin. It actually is, from the biblical point of view, sorrow over that you have offended God. And is that proper repentance? Yes, it is. And that's why God forgives those who recognize they have offended God. Now, in the email, I was sent a video, and it's kind of a comical video. It's about two young men, and the one man says to his friend that you need to share your faith. And the friend 
pretends to go crazy, says, no, I can't do that. It's impossible for me to share my faith. And after he's calmed down, his friend asks him, why can't you share your faith? He says, I have eight reasons why I can't share my faith. And the video goes on to explain those reasons. Number one, he says, I might get beat up. And there's no doubt that in certain countries of the world, you're not only beat up, you're put to death if you proclaim Christ as the Savior, particularly in countries where the Muslims are in control or where other religions think it's okay to beat up those who think that Christianity is wrong. The second reason he says, I don't share my faith, is I'm afraid I won't make any sense. Well, Christianity doesn't make sense. I mean, who ever heard of a religion where the God of that religion becomes a human being in order to die and pay for our sins? This is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. But it is that message which the Holy Spirit uses to convert a person. So you may not make sense because Christianity is not reasonable, but it is God's point of view. A third reason he's afraid to witness, I'll be made fun of. And that certainly is occurring today that people laugh at Christians who believe that Jesus became a human being, that his death on the cross wasn't just an example for us to follow, but actually paid for our sins. They make fun of you. Number four, he doesn't know how to start. Now, there are many occasions, I remember President Barry, he often, former president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, when he was on a plane, he would attempt to give witness to the person he was sitting beside. And they, that wasn't too hard any more than it is for me when I drive Uber and people recognize that I'm a pastor. They usually ask a question, well, what do you believe? Or how is your faith different than this faith? And that's the way to start, by indicating somehow you're a Christian, and then talking about that faith. Number five, I'll be a bad witness. Now that can occur, and that's why it's important to be catechized, because if you tell people, oh, God will save you if you only are good and follow his will, that would be a bad witness. And so it's important to attend church be confirmed, and also Bible study and read the Bible at home. Some say, I'll say the wrong thing. Now, Jesus says he'll bring all things back to our remembrance. And even if you say the wrong thing, you can always correct it later on. I've done that on the radio show where I'll get an email disagreeing with what I said. 
The seventh reason, and this is really true today, people will think I'm a religious nut because I'm homophobic, I'm pro-life, and so forth. Well, Jesus was thought to be a religious nut to the point that they crucified him because they were afraid that his teaching would lead people to follow him and the Romans would come in and take away the nation, which, by the way, happened in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. The last reason why somebody won't share his faith is I don't know enough. They may ask a question, and I won't know the answer to it. Well, that happens even on Law and Gospel. And I'll say, well, I'll answer your question. I'll answer your question next time, and I'll look up the answer. Finally, the video ends where the other individual says, those aren't reasons you don't share your faith. Those are excuses. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.